you don't need me to tell you this. The American Psychological Association, American Institute of Stress in New York, says that Americans list financial pressures the number one stressor in their lives. Number one. More than health issues, more than employment issues, more than anything. 73% of Americans say that financial stress is their highest one. 78% of men in our country say that, uh, that they're stressed about money. 83% of women say that they're stressed about money. When divorce lawyers write their journals, they say that the second highest factor that goes into divorce in our country is financial issues. And when you look at the Bible, God says it. That when finances shift... One way or another, um, it has a potency in our lives. It has the capacity. Money has the capacity to do this. Financial issues, stress, whatever about it has the capacity to do several things. It says it can separate friends. It says it can poison a person's character. It says it can compromise a person's morals. It says it can seed itself to create all sorts of evil. Money has this... um, isn't, there's this general weirdness about money, isn't there, in our country? Like, there's these unwritten rules about what you're allowed to talk about, what you're not allowed to talk about. I don't know who wrote these rules. But, for instance, you're allowed to ask what they're asking for the house you would like to buy. But as soon as you sign the contract that you're buying the house, you're not allowed to say what you paid for it anymore, right? You... We can, we're allowed to ask what a person makes if it's an hourly wage, how much, that's okay, how much they pay per hour there. But if somebody goes to salary, suddenly, oh no, you can't ask a person's salary anymore, right? Who, who made these rules? We get weird. You're not supposed to do business with friends or family, are you? A whole lot of us in the room have paid a price for having tried that, thinking this time it'll be different. Because things get weird. Somebody dies and all of a sudden family members who are all about the family member, now it's about who gets what. How much of what. Things crash and they burn as a result of that. We just kind of get weird about it. We had a friend, Some friends and I, when I was in college, used to ha- have a little uh, desire thing that we said, we wish that they would make every available girl on campus put a little sign around her neck t- saying how much she owed for her college education. But wouldn't it be funny if we all had to wear signs around our necks saying how much in debt we are right now? You get weird about it. This thing in our lives is central. It's necessary. But when big shifts come in this area, it creates a whole lot of questions. Now, we're doing this series. We're calling it Ready or Not. Because it's one thing to say, I'd like to make changes in my life. It's another thing, and this is what we're talking about, when change comes on you. You didn't choose it. It just comes upon you. Health issues or other things that we've talked about. Today we're talking about when the change comes, it has to do with finances. Shift financially. One way or the other. The shift happens where you have more than you used to have. When the shift comes where suddenly you have less than what you used to have. Just like all the changes that we've been looking at. And again, here's the assumption we're using. We're, we're approaching this to say that we are asking this as people who would like to kind of live life under God. We'd like to know what it's like to do it His way. 
So we're asking honest questions, say, okay, under God, according to what he has to say, what does he have to say about how to navigate this when these kinds of changes happen? Today, we're going to take a look at what he has to say about financial shift one way or another. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to the passage that you just heard. It's in Ecclesiastes chapter five, right in the middle of the Bible, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter five. And like all the things we've, we're doing when we're taking a look at this, we're going we're, we're to see that when, when major change happens to you in your life, ready or not, whether you're ready or not, it presents some things to you. It presents some tests for you. Tests for what you're going to do with it, how you're going to live under God with it. And then it presents some opportunities. Sometimes that's a little harder to see. We'll look at both of those about this area. And if you were listening, you heard these words said, I'm going to start in verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of a rich man permits him no sleep. I'm going to give you a handful of tests. Now, I'm just going to guess that in the room, there's a whole bunch of us who have dealt with one of these or another sometime recently, or you will sometime soon, you might be right in the middle of, of, of a big shift happening financially. When that happens, it presents some tests. And the first test we'll talk about is the test that comes when you have a, a rather quick increase in available financial resources. Now, nine-tenths of you just said, that's not me. But it happens sometimes. You get a new job, you get a promotion, you get a bonus. You get an inheritance of some kind. You get your tax refund. You get a chunk that comes, whether it's a permanent chunk or a temporary chunk. Something comes into your presence. You go, wow. When that happens, here's what God's going to say. That's going to test you. That big change is going to test you in a couple ways. First, it, the test, we call it the, the, the rise of greed and indulgence that comes when it happens. When, when we find ourselves with a little more than we thought or a lot more than we thought, we, the test that says, you're tempted to say, I deserve this. This is appropriate. Or, I need this. I need more of this. And then you start to see the allure of what finances do to us. Did you see what it says in verse 11? As goods increase, so do those who consume them. You've heard these stories before. I've always said, well, let me be a test case. I'd like to find out what happens to lottery winners. I know the stats, but I'd still like to find out if I could beat the odds. 44% of lottery winners, 44%, just under half, spend the, their entire winnings within five years. Regardless what their lifestyle was before, regardless what the amount was, they spend it within five years. 5.5% of lottery winners are, have actually declared bankruptcy within five years of hitting the jackpot. And when they track lottery winners and their families, by the third generation of that person's life, the third generation, 90 to 100% probability that the wealth will all be gone. There's this weird thing that financial shift does to us. It puts us in a position where we said, I don't know how I was going to make ends meet before, and we get more of it, and we go, I still don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. There is never a satisfaction that comes from it. That's what it says. So as goods can increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? 
let me, let me ask you this question. When you, when you learn that you've got a, an extra little bit of money that came in, whether it's one of those things or something else, whether it's you got a promotion or a job, a new job, you changed, whatever it might be, when that kind of thing happens, what's the first thought you have about where, where it's going to go? What's your first thought? This week in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, the police department put out a, um, a, a bulletin to the community and they said, please be on the lookout because the Rochester Armored Car Company somehow lost five bags full of money and they are asking for help to find it. They just lost it. They were transporting it. They, they either lost it or, or they misplaced it. Five bags of money. They said that these bags were, in, they were, they were clear plastic bags so you could see what was in them. And they just put them somewhere and can't find it. So they asked the public to say, would you keep an eye out for, for some plastic bags full of money laying around? They said, how much money is it? The police department says, it's an undisclosed amount of money. Now, I want to tell you what my first impulse is. My first impulse. I hope it's not my last impulse, but it's my first impulse. I'm walking around in Sioux Falls and I come upon a bag of money. Even if I know that it came out of one of those trucks. You know what my first impulse is? It's the old rule of thumb that's not in the Bible, but right now I kind of wish it was. Finders, keepers, losers, weepers. I'm doing you a favor by teaching you the responsibility of holding on to your money. I don't have to think about it. That's my impulse. Okay, I'm just being honest with you. Now, I would like to think that the character of God might superintend over that. He might give me another perspective on it, and I might take a, a, a different set of action. But I have to tell you that that is what, that's the test that comes from my nature, is I instantly have places and ideas of where this could go. And I tend to think, I deserve it. I've worked hard. I've done without. Maybe this is my time. The quick in, increase of any kind, it also ri- it, it, it gives rise to the, the test of that, the whole hoarding thing. Uh, look, keep reading in Ecclesiastes 5. Look at verse 13. I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. Or wealth lost through some misfortune. So when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. And then this... That phrase follows, naked a man comes from his mother's womb. As he comes, so he departs. There's this, um, it, you know, it's funny. I, was, I had the football game in the background yesterday when I was trying to work on what I was going to say today. So I might, I might say third and ten. I don't know where that came from. It's in my notes. But, and I'm thinking about the fact that we have something, uh, uh, it's an assumption in our culture. It's an absolute assumption that what... What you want and what you need is to be financially independent. And, and while I'm working on that, a commercial for uh, an investment firm comes on during a time out of the football game. And I hear these words. While I'm working on this, I, I, I wrote them here. I hear these words. We're all on a journey to financial independence. We're all on a journey to financial independence. You hear, what I, you hear what's in that? It's, a subject, it's not even up for debate. Well, of course you're looking for financial independence. What idiot would not want to be financially independent? It's an assumption that in our culture, yes, you want to be financially independent. How do you get financially independent? You know what you do? You put enough away in order that you not need anybody anymore. That's what that, how that happens. 
and you put it away. The Bible has a word for that. The Bible, beyond just the typical savings investment, the Bible says that's hoarding. What that is is a shift in my trust. Now think about this. When I don't have resources, who do I trust and what do I trust to get them? My trust is usually something outside myself or my possessions. My trust is perhaps in my job, perhaps it's in the benevolence of strangers, perhaps it's in the government, perhaps it's in God. My trust is somewhere. When I get it and I hoard it, my trust shifts. And now my trust is in what I got. Keep it because that is, that's my security. That's the word we use for it. Having a secure future. That's a test. A test of where we're going to put our trust. God has a perspective on that. Take a look at James chapter 5 verse 3. Your gold and your silver, what you've stockpiled, are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. God isn't real excited about this idea. And I I went ahead and put this whole thing. This is a story Jesus told in Luke chapter 12. And you might have heard it, but listen carefully to it again. It It says in Luke 12, and he told him this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. So what did he do with this kind of abundance that kind of came? This increase in financial resources, this shift. It says, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry, right? That's what the commercial told us to do. But God said to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. We have this test that comes our way, this obsession that rises up to preserve what extra we've got, to put our trust in that. There's a remedy, or there's a way to pass this test. Okay, so that shift in your life the next time you get a raise, next time you get a new job, maybe it's happening right now. The next time you get money that doesn't, you know where, where you're surprised at where it came from. Or it's a one-time thing that came in your way. The test that's going to become your way is greed and indulgence or hoarding. You know how you pass this test? I'm going to use this phrase. Intentional generosity. Intentional generosity. Not to say, I'll give some away when I have some extra to give away. You will never have enough to give extra away. Why? Because of verse 11. As goods increase, so do those that consume them. I know very, very few people whose budget for their lives, if they have one, is less than what their income is. You set your budget by your income. And once you get there, we say, that's it. It's bare bones. I can't do anything with that. God says, yeah, now get intentional about giving away. Can I, can I just caveat, right? We're in the middle of asking our folks to pledge stuff for an increase around here so that we can make our cell pastor full time. Can I tell you that we planned this talk four months ago? We didn't plan it. This is not about that right now. We're going to ask you about that, but that's, this is about just a general mindset that's a shift that happens. How do I pass the test? Intentional generosity. To let the first question that comes when something comes into your life that's extra 
where else can this go? Who else can this bless? What else can I do with this that's intentional to be generous? Are you a, are you a financially generous person? I, I'm just let it bake in. Are you a financially generous person? If you are, great. Are you sure? If you say, I don't know, you're probably not. It's not just being generous, it's being intentionally generous. I got to tell you that it is not, I I live with a woman who's much more natural about this than I am. I, uh, when, when my, it is not my nature when that happens to think, ooh, what, how can I, how can I create an opportunity to give? I don't think about that. I wait until somebody asks and then I say, well, do they deserve it or not? Do I want to sacrifice or not? Maybe I'll think about it a little bit, but I don't just get intentional about it. It's just not how I think. You know why? Because I am a selfish son of a gun. That's what I am. You want to live life? Do I want to live life under God? Okay, here's the remedy for this whole passing this test when something comes in. Intentionally make myself a generous person. Here's, here's some of what Proverbs says about that. Look at, look at what the book of Proverbs says. A generous man, Proverbs 22, 9. A generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. You got an opportunity to do that? We'll tell you about the end of the service today. Proverbs 11. One man gives freely yet gains even more. This, it doesn't add up mathematically. God, this is under God how it works. Another withholds unduly and he comes to poverty. A generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. God gets involved with us when we choose that. Proverbs 3, 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barn will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. There's a principle there that intentional generosity combats quick increased greed. Now here's, here's, here's another test, and this is one where some of you have checked out are going to maybe check back in. Okay, this test that comes from sudden decrease financially happens a lot more often it's a job loss there is a uh, major major expenses that come that no one foresaw there's an economic downturn next time we have one of those this will be seem more relevant (laughs) and we find ourselves in a position where there's this sudden decrease of income Ecclesiastes 5, verse 14. Wealth lost through some misfortune. I've seen something grievous, he says, under the sun in verse 13. Here's something. Wealth lost through some misfortune. So that when he has a son, there's nothing left for him. Verse 16. This, is, this too is a grievous evil. As a man comes, so he departs. And what does he gain? Since he toils for the wind all his days, he eats in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. When there's a sudden decrease in what you've got available to you, the test is that it gives rise to control issues. It gives rise to panic. It gives rise to fear, doesn't it? Sometimes it gives rise to this sense of needing to clutch. It gives rise to anger. Because we feel like I must do whatever it takes to attain what I need. All our focus goes on to that issue. It becomes the number one issue in our lives. It becomes the obsession of our time. It's where the stress comes from. It's where, it's where the, the 
physical ailments come from it related to that stress? What am I going to do? And the test is that you're put in a position where you can choose to panic. You can choose to obsess, thinking that it's no choice because you have, I have to pay the bills. I, my family has to eat, right? There, we feel like we have got no volition in that. God introduces a remedy to that. And we can talk more about this, but it's going to have to do with the state of your heart. But let, let's put it this way. It's, it would be the, the remedy I, we would call intentional redefinition. Redefinition of the word enough. Do you have enough? You heard it in a drama. What is enough? How do I know that I have enough? Go back to verse 10. Whoever loves money never has money enough in their mind. Do do you, right now, do you have money enough? Do you have enough? There's a myth about enough. Studies have been done. When people are asked... this is, this is very interesting that people are asked whether they have enough money or what would, what would be a, the amount of money that they would take for them to have coming in that would, they would say, now that's enough. The responses are across the board, it doesn't matter what the income is, whether people at the poverty level, whether people in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of income or more, the response is almost uniformly that the answer is, they don't quite have enough, and it would take another 5 to 10%. Just 5 to 10% is all I need for it to be enough. And I say, well, that's just greed. And then I look at myself. Well, you know, I can do a lot of what I want to do, and I'm making ends meet, I guess, but, you know, if I really wanted to do everything that I feel like I, I, I'm in a position to do, if I just had just a little bit more just five percent more that would be enough i i do that too do you it's the myth of having enough this is where god jumps into your life says now i have told you that if you follow me i will be your provider i will be your sustainer and i will give you enough but we have to intentionally redefine what enough is. Enough is not what everybody on my cul-de-sac takes in. It's not what everybody in my community does. It's not what the person sitting next to you does. It's not what even makes you comfortable. What is, what is enough? Take a look at First Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 and 8. We brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing... We'll be content with that. Can I say that? Be content with that. Food and clothing. Let me ask you this question. We've asked it here before. Did you eat yesterday? Did you eat today? Do you have clothes on your body right now? Is that your definition of enough? It's actually quoted from the Old Testament, but Jesus used it in the New Testament when they said, how should we pray? And the prayer was, well, God, would you just give us today our daily bread, just today? God modeled this with his people in in the wilderness. Their clothes did not wear out, and they had manna to eat every morning for 40 years. 
Is that enough? Intentionally redefine that. Gotta keep moving. Here's the, the last test I want to give you is the test that we've talked about. Okay, the test that comes when a lot, when more comes in, the test that comes in when it's diminished. And then there's a test of what we'll just call relative importance of this thing in your life. The place that finances has in our regular routine, whether the times that it's not going up or going down. And that might be a lot of us right now. You're just kind of like somewhere in the middle. And the test that comes out from that is, is what we would call the, the test or the, the allure of riches. Now, Gallup poll just came out with a new, a new poll about people and their finances. And in that poll, they, they asked people um, that, that do not identify themselves as rich. I think that's probably most of us in the room. We would not identify ourselves as rich. It asked them how many of them said that they have a desire to be rich. The average came back at 63% of people who were not rich said, yeah, I, would, I really would like to be rich. I thought this was curious for our group right here. You know where the peak of it happens? The peak happens between age 30 and 49. Because between age 30 and 49, when people are asked, almost 75% of people said, yeah, I really, really have a desire to be rich. So when, so when we're just kind of in the middle of our finances, there's this test. What's our level of, what, what's our attitude toward that? How's that going to affect it? Does that, does that increase stress within us? There's an American assumption that says, everybody knows that you want to get as much as you can, as fast as you can, for as long as you can. Who would argue? And, so there are, and, and what we've done is we've called that, there's a term we have for that. We call it being blessed. There are whole churches that will teach you that being blessed, the definition of being blessed is getting as much as you can, as fast as you can, because God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and God wants to bless you. God wants to give to you if you just trust him enough. He can't wait to just make you rich. I don't want to be rich. I just figure if he owns a thousand cattle, cattle on a thousand hills, would he miss a couple of them just to sell them and give me the proceeds? That's, would he even miss them? And so we have methods that we go for that. We play the lottery, maybe. We drive down to West Broad Street, maybe. We do a lot of job climbing. We work a lot of overtime, a lot of overtime. Because we have to. Because there's a goal that we're pursuing. We, do, we get into multi-level marketing things where we use all our friends to buy all the stuff so that we can increase and get that boat. There's a remedy. If you want to pass tests, if we want to listen to God, the remedy is intentional reprioritizing. I, there's a, I want to get this thing in Proverbs. Here, here's Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches because they're gone. They will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle. Don't chase riches. If riches come, you'll see what God says about that. But do not chase riches. God says it. And then in Proverbs 30, it's one of my favorites. We call this the middle class prayer. Here it is. 
Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Okay? And here's the second one. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Can you pray that? Give me neither poverty nor riches. But give me only, see that, my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who's the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. It's the contentment self-speech. The one you just saw depicted up here. The one that says, it is, what is my goal? And, And to say to myself, it is not my goal to get rich. It's not my goal. John the Baptist preached and said that repent because the kingdom of God is at hand. And people from all over, people who weren't Jews, people, uh, uh, people all over the place came to him and they said, and, and a bunch of them lined up and said, okay, we want to repent. What does that mean? What does that look like? And he goes down the line and he says to different groups what they should do. And, he, and Roman soldiers are there. These are Gentiles. But they're compelled by what they hear and they say, what, are, what do you want us to do? And you know what he tells them to do? He says, be content with what you earn. Isn't that funny? Of all the things he could tell them, be content with what you earn. Because that's attached to a change in their heart. A heart that says, my trust has transferred from what I do and what I need to who I belong to and what he gives. It's the contentment self-speech. Can I urge you to have the contentment self-speech? To invite God to say it to you, to say it to yourself, to say, I don't need this. It's not my goal to get rich. I can be content with where I am right now. What, what, What was the cause for contentment? If we have food, if we have clothing. Can I be content with that? God says, say that to yourself. Hear it from me. And you pass the test. Now, this whole fluctuation in our finances gives us some tests. It also gives some really, really great opportunities. So let's take a few minutes to talk about what some of these are. First of all, when, when the change happens, it gives us the opportunity to look at the whole area of finances and money and to tame it. Tame that wild animal. Because God has kind of described it as a wild animal. It is not necessarily an evil animal. It's a wild animal. And as a wild animal, you must either contain it or you will be contained by it. We're coming up on the anniversary, right, of the thing out east here where the exotic animals were released. It's in the paper today, just coming up on a year on it. And those things were released. In, you know, They were held in captivity. And when they were released... When they found the body of the man who released them, that man, although he had killed himself, that he was mangled by those animals. There's a fact that you, you may have some exotic pets, and I don't want to get into whether it should be allowed or not, but the fact is, when it comes to wild animals, you either contain them well, you control them, or they will control you. Down in um, Florida, there is a, uh, it's called the Dade City Wild Things in Dade City, Florida where for $200, you can sign up to take a swim with a tiger. $200, 30-minute swim. Now, they have a tiger there named Tony. 
And right now, you could go to that place, and you and there's no law against it, though they're trying to get one. And you can go in a pool for 30, and you get a DVD of it, of you swimming with Tony, the tiger. Here's the thing. Tony is a tiger cub. Tony is eight pounds. Oh, now you want to do it. And they, for whoever, people who must be very wise, set the limit that says when Tony reaches 40 pounds in weight, which will be soon, you can't swim with Tony anymore. You know why? Because that DVD would get really interesting. (laughs) When you're dealing with a wild animal, you have to learn that the wild animal serves a purpose But if you don't control it, it will control you. This whole area of our our finances, it's a wild animal. We need to build a cage around it in our lives. If you're not intentional about doing that, it will devour you. So it gives us an opportunity to tame that animal. Here is 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says, people who want to get rich, here's what happens to them. They fall into temptation. They fall into a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Do you know anybody who that's happened to? I bet you do. Somebody who's just chased it so hard that they lose focus, that they get involved in stuff. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. We have to put a cage around it. And I'll just give you a quick list of how, what that cage looks like. The spokes of that cage. When God gives his principles about it, that, me, that the way we do that is we work responsibly. First Timothy 3 says, if you don't know worky, no eaty. That's by the Bible. It kind of says it that way. I'm paraphrasing. You work responsibly. You live within your means. Period. You don't go into debt for something that depreciates. You invest wisely. In fact, here, just throw Proverbs 21.20 up here. In the house of the wise, there's stores. There's stores of choice food and oil. Okay, that person invests wisely. They don't just spend everything, but a foolish man devours all he has. So you save some. You spend judiciously. You pray over your purchases. You ask God to get involved in what you, he thinks about the priorities and the principles that would apply to those purchases. You, have you prayed about your purchases? Just... Asking. And then God says that you, and then you enjoy what you got. You enjoy what he gave you. I mean, it gives you an opportunity to tame this thing. And when you tame it, it can serve your purposes. Because look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. Then I realized it's good and proper for a man to spend some money to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun. During the few days of life that God has given him. Because this is his lot. Moreover, get this. God wants you to enjoy some things. He's not a, he's not a killjoy about your finances. He says, moreover, when God gives any man wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them, to accept his lot, be happy in his work, it's a gift. Look what he does. He seldom reflects on the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with gladness of heart. You tame this thing and you can enjoy its benefits. But tame it. Here's the, other, here's the other opportunity. Another opportunity. God gives us a chance to learn from our situation. I want to say something important. 
and this, we could tease this out a lot more than we have time to, to do today. But I believe that the, the God of the universe works this way and he's going to work this way in your life if he hasn't already. That God, in his grace and his love, he wants to weaken you and he wants to break you. He needs to break us of our, our independence from him. He needs to break us of our self-reliance, he, of our arrogance. And God has a, a handful of tools in people's lives that he are, I believe are his primary tools that he will use. I don't know which one is yours. They vary from person to person. There might be some mix of them. But God will use specific tools to get your attention and to say, it's time for you to be weak. It's time to, for you to be broken. It's time for you to understand that you're, everything you have is dependent on me. Come into relationship with me. Come into dependence, active dependence on me. And among those things that he will use in your, in your life, he will use either your most important relationships, your marriage, parents, your children. He will use them because they will deteriorate, they will break, and you will find yourself in agony over them. And he'll use that as a, as a means to get your attention. He will use your health or the health of somebody close to you. He will weaken you in your health so that he gets your attention to say, your breath doesn't come from you, doesn't come from working out. It comes from me. He will use, he will use, those, he will use your career where you have dreams and passions and goals of things you pursue and he won't let you get them or he'll let you get them and lose them to get your attention. Or he will use your finances. And he will take it away from you. In the case of Job, he took about almost all those things within minutes. But in the room here today, you either have had it happen, are having it happening, or will have it happen. That God is going to use one or more of those tools, and he's going to intentionally use it to weaken you. You'll be tempted to say God is unkind, he's unloving, he's not present, he doesn't even exist. And God says, bear with me, I'm doing surgery. The goal is your health. The goal is your soul. The goal is your eternity. The goal is your rightful place under my provision. I'm getting your attention. I'm weakening you. So when fluctuations happen, in particular when we have a loss, when it comes to the financial area, it is often, it gives us a chance. It gives us the opportunity to learn from it, to see beyond it. And then to allow it to make us lean on him, to say, I am a dependent person. Can you let that happen? For some of us who are in the room right now who are really struggling with this area, can you soften your heart and say to God, okay, you have my attention. All right, perhaps I need to change the way I look at this and the way I look at myself, and I need to acknowledge my dependence on you. I need to walk with you through this. And let me hasten to say this. To those of us in the room right now who are really, really in a a tough spot financially. You feel desperate and you say, yeah, this all sounds well and good, but I've got a bill due tomorrow. Or I've got one that's past due. Or I'm in foreclosure. Or I'm dealing with stuff that I don't know how to get out of this. Can I give you an assurance from God? That here's what I believe he would call on us to do about that. He would... He would say, look, be open to it. Acknowledge to God, to, to God and acknowledge it to his people. Allow your pride to be broken and say to his people, this is my true condition. I need to let God's instruments in my life know about it. Be open. That's part of being broken about it. Call on him. Invite him into the presence. And then work, work hard to pursue where he might take you. And then remember this. Watch this and let this be the verse that... In, Beds itself in your heart. It's, it's Psalm 37, 25. 
I was young and now I'm old. Yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken. I have never seen their seed, their children begging for bread. People who will follow the master and Lord of the universe and will depend on him. People who will obey his ways, the righteous. People who know who he is and are putting his ways into practice. The Bible says, I have never seen those people forsaken by God. I have never seen their children beg for bread. There is an assurance that goes beyond your capacities that God will not let you fall. Hang on to that today. Know that that day is coming. Know that there will be another side to where you are right now. And when you look back, you will praise the God who gave you bread. The God who gave you life and sustained it. One, one more quick thing to say, but it's not enough time but to do it justice. There's one more opportunity we've got. And that is when God gives us something, He gives us an opportunity to reflect His nature back to Him. Now, hear this. You were, you were, the Bible says that you were created in the image of God. There are aspects of who God is that are reflected on a human being that aren't reflected on the animal world or the cosmos. So there's aspects of who God is and His character that are reflected. And our job is to image Him back to Himself. It means to reflect Himself him back it's it's like we get to be the kid who shows the, the dad what he taught us we talk like our dad we walk like our dad we have the same kind of things and so we image his character back to him that's our job your purpose for existing is to bear the image of the most high god god is a god whose character is a, god at his core is a giver god is somebody who blesses others that is who who and what god is at his core when you are given provision, you have an opportunity set in front of you. So that when you do what God would do, you reflect back to Him to say, this is what you're like. And glory goes to God when we do that, when we reflect His image back to Him. That's why at the next verse, look at the next verse of Psalm 37.25. It continues, it says, I've never seen their children begging bread. They are always generous and they lend freely, and their children will be blessed. There's something that becomes true of people who follow God. They reflect that part of who He is. They become generous people. He blesses, so I bless. And when I do, I point to Him and say, this is what you're like. It's kind of like a mirror I hold up to heaven. God, you get to see a little bit more of what you're like. Glory goes to you because I got to act like you act. I'm your kid. And they're blessed as a result of that. Let me ask you two simple questions today when it comes to your finances. What, what test are you most facing of the ones we've talked about? Are you being tested by an, a, a sudden increase or a sudden decrease? Are you being tested by what your focus is when it's staying the same? How are you doing in that test? And what opportunity is before you to, to see this and either to tame this thing in your life or to learn from it as, as it breaks us or to reflect God's character. As we do that, the big change of financial shift, it has a purpose in our life. It has a reason. It has a design behind it. Recognize that and respond to it, whether it's the test that you pass or the opportunity that you seize. Which one is it for you? Let's pray together.